Amen. Please be seated. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Focus this morning will be verse 6 and verse 7. These two verses actually summarize or sum up the message of really the whole book of Colossians. Now the book of Colossians is uh, an exposition of the supremacy of Jesus Christ from beginning to end. Uh, the first chapter and the first several verses of chapter 2 all remind us and reveal to us who Christ is in very vivid detail, very technical detail. There's even a portion of chapter 1 that we study that gives like a doctrinal statement about who Christ is. And so in light of this, we make a transition now in this great epistle from who Christ is and what this means for how we should then live. It's very typical Pauline style to give a, a doctrinal basis and then how we should live in light of what is true. What is true and what to do. And that's what we have in this transitional portion of chapter 2. Much of what we'll see today in summary form will appear thematically throughout the rest of the book. But today, we'll look at just verse 6 and 7 and consider this matter of spiritual growth in Christ, because of Christ, through Christ. I'll read verses 1 through 7 for context. Our focus, though, will be verse 6 and verse 7. Hear God's holy word. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your holy word, and I ask, Father, that you would protect your sheep from anything wrong that I would say. I pray that anything that is not according to your word would fall away from their ears. Lord, but that which is according to your word, it would penetrate and it would change us. It would draw us closer to Christ and give us a stronger, more powerful witness to a watching world. Lord, we long to see all men, all women, all children glorify you through Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Watching our new sanctuary go up uh, is once again confirm what is always the case. For something of any significance to be built high and tall, it must have a solid, strong foundation. You probably recall how long it took just to build the basement portion of the building. Several months. Uh, they had to build multiple uh, piles or pillars, drilling down to bedrock uh, and filling with rebar and cement to make it strong. And then around it, each wall was made very specially. Uh, thick, thick walls, almost looks like a bunker just on its own. Huge, deep, and heavy. And it took months to do it. Now, how long has it taken to put up the steel structure you see now? Two weeks. It's incredible how fast. I, I literally remember leaving for lunch one day and coming back in two whole uh, columns or two whole 
portions of the frame were up. And so you see, when the foundation is that strong, and it takes time to build that foundation, you can build a lot on top of it. You can even build what's going to be, if you can imagine this, a 134-foot steeple and tower steeple. You see that portion now, it's going to be 66 feet higher than that, which is huge to me. And with the Kansas wind, you know, you wonder. But with that kind of foundation, and it's rooted in that foundation, it's not going anywhere. You could build a lot on top of that foundation. Now, I want you to think for a moment of your own spiritual life. I want you to think of yourself as a building. In fact, this is used as an analogy in other places in Scripture, spiritual building. But I want you to think of your own life, foundation, and then the building that goes up on top of that. Now, before you get uh, carried away in thinking that you're somehow building the foundation, the foundation, your foundation, is Christ. Uh, there is no firmer foundation. Christ is your foundation. And from Christ, you grow. Uh, you are given nutrition by him. You are fed by him, and you grow. And really, if Christ is your foundation, what limit would there be in your growth? I'd say there's none. In Christ, you will continue to grow because he is so firm, so sure, so, so strong. And really what these verses talk about in using language from construction as well as agriculture is this idea that you are rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. This is spiritual growth. Last week, we, or the last time we studied the first verses of this chapter 2, we thought about spiritual maturity and what that is. Now we're going to talk about the process of growing, and that's really what the rest of the book is about. In particular, though, in these two short verses, growing spiritually we see as an intentional, active process for each believer. Just like that building is going through a process of being put together and growing up, and you're seeing more and more what it's going to look like, so also you, founded upon Christ, are growing more and more, being added to that, more construction happening, and that construction will go on until glory. But let's consider what this verse reveals to us about spiritual growth, these two verses. First and foremost, assumed by the apostle, but I want to stop and just be sure today, between each other, be sure that you have received Christ. Look at verse 6. Therefore, as you, have re as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Now you see, whenever a verse starts with therefore, why is the therefore? The verse starts with therefore, meaning that it's about to say something that finds its basis on what came before. And what comes before? All of chapter 1 and part of chapter 2 is Christ. It's all about Christ in great detail. Who he is, what he is doing, what he has done, what he will do. It's all about Christ, his supremacy, and our relationship to him. It's all about Christ. So as you have received Christ, whom you have learned about, it's not just this nebulous receive Jesus or accept Jesus. It's who Jesus is as described in the first chapter and the first several verses of chapter 2. This Christ, as you have received him, walk in him. So the first question is, have you received Christ? It's assumed by the apostle here, as it says, as you have received. So he's talking to believers who he assumes have received Christ. Begs the question, what does it mean to receive Christ? It's become popular when sharing the message of Christ to ask a person to pray to receive Christ. Maybe you've been asked, if you prayed to receive Christ, or you'll hear lingo like this, have you received Christ into your heart? Have you received uh, Jesus into your life? And you'll hear talk like this, and it's evocative, and it helps us to at least 
ask the question, what is our relationship with Christ? So it's valuable in that sense. I don't mean in any way to degrade that type of lingo, only to say that it sometimes gives this idea that an individual has uh, really to invite Jesus, or there's a sense in which uh, there's this mysterious accepting him into your heart. Have you really thought about what that means, by the way? What does it mean to accept Jesus into your heart? I know what the sentiment is, but to be more biblical, to be more in line with how the apostles uh, speak of this, think of how it's said here, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. And it's in light of all that's been said about Christ, this body of knowledge, of truth about who Jesus is. Has you, have you received him? It's not saying to pray a prayer to receive him. It's not saying... Uh, receive Jesus into your heart, all meant well. It's saying, do you receive Christ? Have you taken Christ? The word is really meant to convey the idea of you've been placed this body of knowledge into your lap. Take it. Have you taken it? This is who Christ is. He's revealed himself walking on earth and then giving us the deposit of the revelation about him in his, in his word by the apostles. Do you receive that Christ? Not a figment of our imagination about Christ or some other Jesus or some personal made-up Jesus. The Christ mentioned in chapter 1 and verse, in chapter 2, have you received Christ? Well, the people here have received Christ in this manner. They have received Christ, and so they then begin to walk in him. This is important. We cannot start this, our trek of spiritual growth without first receiving Christ for who he is. And who is he? It says very vividly, Christ Jesus the Lord. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, first, Jesus is the Christ. Christ meaning Messiah, the anointed one. The one designated to save his people from their sins. Very simply, Christ means he's our sacrifice, he's our savior. Have you received Christ as your savior, as the savior? Secondly, though, it says Jesus is Lord. Christ Jesus the Lord. We receive him not only as our savior, saving us from our sins, but also as the Lord over our lives and over everything. It's an acknowledgement that he is the king, king, the sovereign one. Jesus is Lord, ruler and king. By virtue of his merit before the Father, the Father gives to the Son the name above all names. So when I receive Christ, what I'm doing is receiving what is true about him in personalizing it that he is my Savior, but he's also my Lord. Uh, you can't just take him as Savior and not as Lord. Uh, I'll, I'll take forgiveness of sins, but I'll walk my own path, or I won't pay attention to what his commandments are. You see, the person who says that they receive Christ as Savior and not as Lord, they have not received Christ. Christ is not one or the other. He never presents himself this way. In fact, uh, wonderfully, in the, uh, one of the boldest sermons coming from uh, Peter uh, is when he's speaking to the Israelites uh, who he is accusing of having killed Christ these Israelites early on after the ascension, he says to them, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Not one or the other, he is Savior and he is Lord. Have you received Christ for who he is, that the Bible says he is, not some figment of your imagination about Christ, but as Savior and Lord? That's the beginning of the spiritual a journey, the growth process we speak of today. I want you to know from the bottom of my heart and the heart of the leadership, we really seek to try to, to promote activities. We call them programs sometimes that 
further your spiritual growth. They'll give you the opportunity to grow. And we believe the way that happens, the way you w- begin that walk, is when you are rooted in Christ. And it has to happen there first. Have you heard who Jesus is, and do you receive him? That's the first thing we constantly want to accent and go back to. You must receive Christ. But back to our text, there's something that happens immediately after that. If we have, as we have received Christ, as we uh, trust him, Paul says further, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. To walk in him simply means to live in him. To walk in Christ means to follow his teaching, mimic his actions, be conformed to his image. Your life should reflect what you believe. If you believe he's your savior, you live a life in response to that grace. If you believe he's your Lord, you look to see what it is that he commands and try to emulate those things. You receive Christ and then walk with him. Think of the Olympics, uh, one of my favorite events to watch because I think the, what it takes to successfully complete this event when these runners do these relays. And they have to run at full speed almost, so they get going full speed. Well, the next guy hands them that baton, and they reach back and grab the baton, and they keep running. And as soon as they receive it, they're, they're, they're going. They're running. They're moving. It's just understood that you're progressing. You're moving. You're going forward. And in a similar way, when you receive Christ, when Christ is given to you, you take Christ and you run. That's what it means. You keep moving. So as you receive Christ, walk in him. It's not that you stop and stare at the baton for a while. What's this? What, what, what is this about? Rather, it's a process from receiving it to moving and progressing. Walk in him. You know, there's a few short phrases here that I want to analyze that help us answer the question, well, what does it mean? You know, walking in him, living him. What does this mean exactly? Well, look again. It says, walk in him, verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught. There are three phrases here, participles, that I want us to look at. Rooted in Christ, in verse 7, built up in Christ, and established in the faith. Now, before we go forward, you see them. Rooted in Christ, built up in Christ, and then established in the faith. There are tenses here that help us understand how these things happen. First, it says, rooted in Christ. This is the perfect passive. This means having been rooted and built up. So it's a past action that has happened, uh, rooted in Christ. Whereas built up in Christ and established in the faith, those are present participles. So one time occurred, you're rooted in Christ, grafted into Christ. You're placed on the foundation of Christ. Then you are built up and established. Notice that built up in Christ and established in the faith, or built up in him, as it says, referring to Christ, They're present. That means they both always happen, continue to happen. So you're built up and established. But once you're established, it's not the end. You're you're still built up. There is a point at which a person's spiritual maturity where we would say they're established in the faith, but they're still continuing to be built. There's a point where you might say they're not quite established or they're not quite firm yet to stand up under the trials. They're being built up. But those two are ongoing activities. Being built up and established go on. Whereas once we're rooted in Christ. Consider this concept of being rooted in Christ. I want you to think of an old, old, massive tree that you hung on or climbed as a kid. You never, ever worried about that tree tipping over. I might now, but the tree's not, it's going to be able to hold me because it's got a huge network of roots. Huge network that holds it. And, and even the roots go farther. If you were to measure, they go farther than what the bell of the tree actually is. 
Uh, it's, it's massively, it's rooted and it's firm and it will withstand all sorts of wind and all sorts of uh, adversity. Now, when you drive around these new areas, you'll notice that they're trying to get them to look as mature as possible so they can put on the little, the little thing, wooded lot. You know what a wooded lot means in Kansas, right? You know, some saplings that are out there. And you'll see them laying out in the lawn. There's a church down here that's doing some nice landscaping. And uh, the, the, people, the tree people must have just dropped off the trees recently because they're all laying on the side. And they have that burlap ball around the base of it. Now, I used to work in a place where we would plant trees. And I remember that if 80% of those trees take in the first two years, that's considered very successful. Uh, the main reason is, is that they're, they're uprooted and then they're, they're, their roots are actually cut, put in this burlap, and then buried somewhere. And it's, you do your best to try to get them to take root and grow. Uh, because if they don't, wind will knock them over very easily. They'll die. That's true of us. If we are not rooted, if we're not rooted deep, we'll fall. Rooted in Christ means to have the firmest of all possible stabilities because of the roots being in Christ. Now, there's also an analogy there that we should think of in terms of what's, what's the most natural way for a tree to grow strong. From the time it's little, that little helicopter falls off the maple tree and grows. All things being equal, that's the best way for it to grow, from where it falls, and then it grows, and the roots, as it gets bigger, it's always in proportion to the roots because of the way God makes them. And so as they grow in proportion to the roots, the roots grow and it stays firm and strong. That's the best way. The analogy is the best way to be rooted in Christ is from the time that child is born and baptized that they're growing and their roots are growing in proportion to their building. That's the best way. Now, praise God, several of us were of the other variety where we had the burlap around us for a while and are starting to take root now. I mean, that's, that's part of what it is to be born again later in your life. But my prayer for my kids and for your kids is that they're rooted from the beginning as they grow strong, rooted up in Christ so that ultimately... They're strong and they can support the growth that will happen on top. And it will never truly become top-heavy because the roots are so strong. Rooted and built up in Him. That's a, that's a one-time occurrence of being placed in connection with Christ. And then everything rises up out of Christ in our life, rises up out of the gospel. That's what the next phrase means. Built up in Him. Rooted and built up in Him. To be built up in Christ means to grow into maturity. Think now of the tree on top of the surface as it grows, and every year it grows more. It gets bigger, it gets taller, it gets stronger, it bears more fruit. Built up in Christ. You could think of this in agricultural terms, but also in the construction terms. Now that you have a strong foundation, you can do all sorts of things on top connected to that foundation. Beautiful things, tall things, powerful things, strong things. Built up in Christ, never stopping. Eventually, eventually, at some point, there's an establishment that you have where it's not, you're not going to get shaken anymore, but you're still going to be built up in the same time. Built up in Christ. I love what Paul says to the Philippians. He says it in wonderful terms, pastoral terms. He says, I am sure of this in Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. That's being built up in Christ. And by the way, I didn't mention to you that these tenses or these words that are used for rooted in Christ, built up in Christ, and established, they're all in the passive. The passive voice in the Greek language means it happens to you. It's not active like you go out and do it. 
It's happening to you. Passive is you receive the action. You're passive in the action. Now, we live it out in our human, human lives, but recognize it's God working to build us up. He works to root us, build us up, and establish us. Established in the faith. This is the goal, certainly. Not the end goal, but the goal to be established, that we're firm. This means that we've reached a point of firmness in the faith where when all manner of trials come, yes, you may shake in the breeze, you may experience those trials, but you're not knocked over, you're not uprooted, you're not lost. That's being established in the faith over time with the Lord. Humanly speaking, you're firm, you're solid, you're steady. How do you think this takes place? Look at the verse once more, verse 7. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught. Now that phrase is important, just as you were taught. Well, how were they taught? They were taught, we know from the early portion, and we'll see this reference again, by Epaphras. Epaphras, who we understand, learned from Paul. Really, though, ultimately, who taught? The apostles taught them. The apostles taught them God's word. That's what we have in the Bible itself. The record of the apostles about Christ. A true and trustworthy testimony of who Christ is. So rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught. So if you are rooted in him and you're starting to be built up, how will you continue to be built up and established? By continuing to listen to what was taught by the apostles. Growing spiritually is an intentional, active process for each believer. And it happens this way. First, it happens by our spending time personally with the Lord according to his word, in his word. But it also happens under his word, like you are right now. You're coming to hear the word preach. You're under the word of God. So you're in the word of God. You're with God in, in fellowship and worship, and you are under the word of God. So constantly being taught what it is the apostles have been given to teach us by the Holy Spirit about Christ. But also this happens best and most effectively in connection with others who are in communion with God, in his word, under his word, in community. So those things together, that's how we are built up. That's how we walk with Christ. You take any one of those things out. If you take out the time on worship with God, you take out a personal component of your actual walk with Christ, and it just becomes an academic study. Uh, If you take out the study of his word, you can't know God unless you know what he says about himself in his word. No one can say, I know God, and not spend time in the scriptures. It's the only way we know God, about God. We can't take out community. How could you ever live out the things that are said about God and what we should be like in light of who God is without living in community? The process of walking in him happens with these things, with the word of God, the people of God, by the grace of God. I mentioned earlier the heart of the leadership. It's it's aimed at not giving you more activities to fill your week but rather to try to selectively pick things that will help you in your walk with him. And so everything we do is some way goes back to the scriptures and teaching it. And then there are other times, it's not that every time we get together we open up the Bible, right? It means that it's about what the Bible teaches. So we have wonderful, fun times together. We may not break open the Bible, but it's in light of the Bible's command to us to be community, to be united one one to another spiritually intentional. That's why we do what we do. Not to give you more things on your schedule. I know no one here needs more things. So our preaching is from the Word. Our teaching is based on the Word. We try to start rooting kids from the earliest age so they learn the verses, the stories, the catechism, so that they're rooted up early. 
Everything we do is somehow bent towards helping you with your walk, in your walk, so that you can have an intentional way to be active in your spiritual growth. One of my favorite uh, things about our church, and I think really every church has to do at some level, is our small groups and our home fellowship groups, as we call them. It's a time where you get together and all these things come together. You talk about what's preached, how it particularly applies, and you spend time praying for one another and knowing what each other's, uh, what's going on in your life and sharing with one another. This is how we walk, in, walk with Him. As we receive Christ, so walk in Him. And how do we do so? Rooted and built up in Him. Established in the faith, just as you were taught. But something else is here that we should not miss. Abound in thanksgiving. Verse 7. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Please notice, it does not say abounding in thankfulness. One thing I've learned is you cannot make a person thankful. Now, what do we do, though? Don't we require our children to say thank you now you know and i know that you cannot make your child be thankful but you can require them to say thank you why do you do that because over time and i don't know when it happens i don't know what happened for you and i don't know when it'll happen for our kids over time at some point you will say thank you and actually mean it do you know what i'm saying we, we tell them to keep saying thank you and then at some point they stop and think for themselves wow i don't deserve this meal i don't deserve what that person just did for me i don't deserve what god has done and it starts to move into that person thankfulness. So the discipline of giving thanks, abounding in thanks, as the text says, is so important in our spiritual growth. Because you get in the habit of being reminded by your words audibly or in your mind, thank you, God, for this. A few weeks ago, I challenged you to start praying your prayers, starting your prayers with saying thank you first, instead of what we normally do, adoration, confession, thanks, and supplication. That's a good acronym to follow. Keep following it if, if that works for you. But thanks, I think in particular, in a land of plenty, is good for us to constantly start with thank you. And it, it starts to build in us a thankfulness or reminds us of why it is we should be so thankful. Abound in thanksgiving. Literally, it says to be abundantly rich in thanksgiving. I don't know if you ever thought of that as part of your spiritual growth. But it is. Thankfulness is what shows spiritual maturity. So start by practicing thanksgiving. Uh, there's an experience uh, that happened to uh, Ironside, H.A. Ironside, who was a pastor at Moody Church in Chicago. Uh, he lived in the city, not far from the church, and he would eat around there, and he would talk to folks around there, and he was pretty well known in the city itself, pretty known figure. And uh, he would go to places to eat, and he was at one place, sitting at a table, eating his meal. And before he ate his meal, he bowed his head to pray. And there was a guy sitting there and saw him right next to him. The tables were close together, and he looked at him as he saw him bowing his head, and he said, uh, sir, do you have a headache? Ironside looked up and said, no, I don't. He said, well, is there something wrong with your food? Why are you putting your head down like that? No, I was simply thanking God before I eat, Ironside said. The man said, oh, you're one of those. Well, I want you to know that I never give thanks. I earn my money by the sweat of my brow, and I don't have to give thanks to anybody when I eat. I just start right in. And Ironside said, Yes, you're just like my dog. That's what he does, too. Now, for those of you who are dog owners and lovers, I know you think, I know you think when your dog is panting and all happy when you bring the food out, that he's thanking you. I know you believe that. But the fact is, he's just excited that you finally let loose the thing he hunted and killed so he can eat it. That's really what he thinks. He thinks he got it himself when the food shows up. That, that's what a dog thinks. 
But how foolish is that? You all know that they couldn't live unless you fed them. But that's what it's like when we live without thanksgiving. It's living as though we did it ourselves. And how foolish is that really when we know who provided it all? Just like a dog does. Yeah, he, my dog does that. We fool ourselves often by thinking we have somehow earned our own talents, which we have. As you give regular thanks in all the things that you do, you'll develop a demeanor that reflects a right thankfulness, a gratefulness to God. You know, uh, I, I read various uh, stories, biographies, and, and blips about people that I wish I could be like. In one uh, such person who I've long determined I couldn't be like, but I appreciate and I'm blessed when I read about him, is Alexander White, who's a Scottish Presbyterian, uh, who by all accounts was just a very pious man, and he walked and lived according to what he preached and taught. He always found something to be grateful for. He's one of those kind of people. In fact, Dr. Calhoun, who was here last week, is just that kind of person. I noticed that when I, as I uh, sat under him during my years at seminary, uh, that I, I can honestly not think of, and I've knew him pretty well, of any negative things he ever said. He just was constantly giving praise to God, even in the midst of all these bouts with cancer. Uh, he constantly was giving praise to God. And this Alexander White is much like this, if you read him. And there was a couple of uh, folks that noticed as church started, it was a hideous day outside. I mean, cold, dreary, awful Scottish day. And he comes in, and two of the young guys wondered uh, what could he possibly think was good about this day. And they kind of prompted him by saying, uh, saying something of that nature, trying to evoke him to say something. And he said, uh, or they, they thought to themselves anyway, certainly the preacher won't think of anything for which to thank the Lord on a wretched day like this. But when he started the prayer that morning, he said, we thank thee, O God, that it is not always like this. He had a habit, a discipline of thanking God, because there's always something to thank God for, especially if we're rooted in Christ, if that be it. Right now, during this phase of the construction project, I want you again to think about your spiritual life and what it, how it compares to that building going up. Now, I don't know where you are right now. Maybe you don't have a deep foundation, and you've got a facade that looks really developed and mature, but you know if the wind comes, it's going to blow down. I would just appeal to you that it might be time to strip away some of that facade and reshore up. Go back down. Foundation work is tough and it's expensive, isn't it? But it has to be done. So maybe for you, you've got to go to the foundation. Have you received Christ? You've got to start there. Maybe you've received Christ, but you started to build in, 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 a, in the wrong way. And even though it looks good on the outside, you know the structure is not strong. It's not firm. It's not built up the way it ought to be. Who cares what everyone else is thinking? Start taking off the walls again and rebuild that structure. Go back and start building up. See it built up some more. We have to sometimes strip away the facade of strength that we uh, show forth for years sometimes and go back and be sure that the foundation is secure, the structure is sound, and that the building is honest. Growing spiritually is an intentional, active process for each believer. Be sure you have received Christ. Walk then in Christ and abound in thanksgiving. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you for shoot straight to our heart. I pray that we would not be the same as a result of what we have read from your word and heard. And I pray that your spirit would just apply it to our lives in a very practical way this day and in this week. In Jesus' name, amen.